welcome to How Do You Engineer, your hacked and homemade engineering podcast. I am a host, Peter Martin. I'm a host, Abby Daderlay. And I'm a host, Simon Whitmel. And uh, this week, we have one of our uh, our oldest fans, one of the few people that we uh, got some feedback from back in the first couple episodes. In the very beginning. Yeah, you want to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm going to be this week's guest, and my name is Gord Fogg. So right. Pete managed to not spill beer all over himself this week. Success. Mm-hmm. So far. Yeah. This is already like topping of several episodes. Um, so this week we are going to talk to Gord about what it's like to do engineering without actually being an engineer or teaching yourself engineering, learning engineering outside the classroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you, yeah. how do you teach yourself and to engineer things? Mm-hmm. Without, yeah, cause it, yeah. It, it's interesting. I, the different, uh, the point of view you have coming to an engineering problem with an engineering mindset without ever having been in an engineering class. It seems to be there, there'll be some universals and some new things that we'll have to delve into those depths. I'm mm-hmm. looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. Probably yep. a lot of things that we take for granted that, uh, we shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of stuff that we do just because that's the way we learned it in class. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but first. Yeah. First, let's engineer something. Yeah. Do, 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 do. Intro music. <laughs> <laughs> you should just leave it like that. <laughs> that's the new intro music. Um, all right. Seeing as I am currently, uh, I can't turn off my phone because I could get a call at any moment that causes me to run screaming from the room because my wife is going into labor. That'd be fantastic. Yeah, that would actually, <laughs> if we caught that on the podcast, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> um, no, I'm not, I'm not hoping for that actually. Uh, so I thought that a, well, Pete thought that a good topic might be baby monitors since it'll be something that we'll be using a lot of in the near future. Yeah, That's- I probably will too. I will actually. Not even probably. <laughs> probably. Definitely I'll will. probably monitor my baby. Pete, Pete might want to, might want to check on his oh, baby. Um, all right. I misspoke, Allie. I misspoke. <laughs> um, all right. So make a better baby monitor. Well, or just like how you would make one if you couldn't buy one on the internet. Okay. Like I, I think we can't help but make a better one because we're just that good. Yeah. All right. Our solutions are always better. <laughs> Okay, so we start with bamboo. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, 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 it works. You just like you punch a hole in the floor of like the baby room, and then you're like, you know those those tubes that they have in like the old timey steamships that you like yell into one end of and it comes out another place. Yeah. Yes, or at you know children's parks. I think we've talked about this before in yes. one of these engineering things, probably. But we could make it out of bamboo. <laughs> yeah, or brass. Just mm-hmm. to be is old-timey it really monitoring cool. your baby though? If you're just shouting at your baby (laughs) well really i think most of the time your baby just shouts at you i don't think that the idea is that you're able to shout at your baby from remote distances i don't know our the baby monitor we bought has like a talk back button yeah but it's so creepy you'll be sitting in the room and there's like this voice comes out of that we've got a it's got a camera and everything and the camera starts talking to you oh it's really creepy what does it say well it says whatever you say (laughs) if it doesn't then you're really in trouble (laughs) well no if it doesn't it means somebody's hacked into your baby monitor which apparently is a thing that happens now yeah Yeah, it's very easy to do yeah all right so (laughs) our solution cannot use wi-fi we need to it needs to be unhackable all right um so how do we get two microphones and speakers to talk to each other over distance is distances (laughs) (laughs) well radio is boring so (laughs) bluetooth Morse code. Yeah. All right. Bluetooth. Morse code with your baby. (laughs) (laughs) 
So one of, like an, an old timey telegraph operator sits in your baby's room and I have pooped my pants. Stop. <laughs> Would like you to come and check. Stop. <laughs> I'm just picturing a guy in like with like the the visor and yeah. like the shirt with the with the uh, the things wrapped around his elbows, like sitting there t- tapping. He just it sits out. in your closet. And he, like <laughs> like a brown pencil tie and one of those like clear visor things on his head. Exactly, exactly. Okay, no, we, we, so we, you you need a system for transcribing. Uh, no, okay, no, we could use we could use Morse. You just it is a set of pre-described messages. And so when it hears your baby mm-hmm. scream, it the, you get a little Morse code message that says your baby is screaming. And then you have like... <laughs> it's like a text. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> your baby is uh, screaming. <laughs> except for it comes over like, I don't know, it, it, has, it has to go up one of those, the, the big metal towers that has lightning bolts coming out of the top of it. You know, like, the, it's always the, the image for when something gets broadcast yeah. on, like, old movies. There's always lightning bolts coming out of the top of a big so tower. you're saying we should start a radio station. Yes. <laughs> Broadcast the baby screaming to everywhere, not just your living room. I feel like we need a better solution than your baby is screaming. Because there's, there's variants to your baby is screaming. So, okay, so let, let's do it legitimately as an engineering project and start with the user requirements. So what is... A baby monitor need. What do you need out of a baby monitor? I'd say a modern baby monitor. I would look for at least um, audio and video. I'd like to be able to see my baby as well okay. as hear my baby. How long do people need to use their baby monitors for? In terms of like the age of the child, do we need to baby proof the baby monitor? Yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. I I know people Especially who it's have gonna be like in the at least crib. a couple of years. I think it's pretty much as long as a kid's in a crib. Yeah, so like up to. Three years, maybe. Because yeah, once they're old enough to not be in the crib, they'll come find you. Yeah, yeah. So it's got it's got to be rugged. So uh, whatever we're building, it's got to it's got to have a good solid outer shell. What if you just hire someone to sit in your nursery, like a nanny, and monitor your baby? Well, then you don't really need a baby monitor. Or a dog. Like, like the a little. You have a dog who's just like a a, a seeing and hearing baby dog. The like a border collie or something. Yeah, will come and herd you to the room when the baby starts crying, like Lassie. Yeah, I think that would work. No, okay, but this is a technological solution. So if we if we were go- <laughs> if we were going to build so right, robot dogs, dogs. <laughs> I, I liked I liked Gord mentioned Bluetooth. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's something I I it's fairly underrepresented in the baby monitors. Most of the baby monitors I've seen were either Wi-Fi or used their own RF yeah. frequency. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it was if it was Bluetooth, you'd pair it, and then you wouldn't have to worry as much about it being hacked. Yeah, that's fair enough. Because Bluetooth devices are pretty pretty secure i mean they're not epically secure but (laughs) epically secure (laughs) that'd be a great band name epically secure um i I, like i guess you could you could actually you could probably put encryption on top of the bluetooth because bluetooth pairing is basically just like a serial connection once you're once they're synced together you're just getting a serial data flow back there is like that five digit passcode or something though too right yeah yeah but you could use that five digit code as also for encryption like if you wanted the data to be encrypted going over the air sure Hmm. But because I, I mean, like the the stuff from the signals from the old baby monitors, like the ones that are just audio, is just free clear radio. Yeah. Like if you've got a radio receiver, if you've got one of those like police band radios, you could pick yeah. up the baby monitor just by finding the frequency. Software defined radio. Man, actually, I have to go home. I have I have an old police radio. I want to see if I can pick up the baby monitor <laughs> signal on that. That's awesome. Because if I could, that'd be way cooler than the other like the other end of the baby monitor. Oh, that's sweet. Okay. Um, 
but yeah, a Bluetooth, like a Bluetooth, uh, tool would be cool. Cause you could do a smartphone app. Yep. And, uh, and you could, so you, you do video and it doesn't have the throughput for that heavy, uh, a data stream. I don't think like you can't do video over Bluetooth. You can do audio. Mm. You can't do video. Mm. That's why we do, that's why we do file transfer. Oh no, it is over. Sorry. I was thinking about NFC and Bluetooth, but, um, yeah, I mean, I still don't think you can do video over Bluetooth. I might also, be wrong. I don't know. I mean, also Bluetooth's kind of iffy when you're going through like walls and floors sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you'd only go a couple rooms away. So I wonder if there's like a different, uh, a better radio technology. Uh, you could be in the same, hmm. All, all of the Wi-Fi bands are dead bands. Like you can't have other radio signals on there. I, I don't know. Okay. Well, <laughs> what if like, I mean, part of the problem with the being things being hacked into over the Wi-Fi is that they are not secure. Like they're not secure on the network. How secure does this have to be? Like, I understand that if people can listen in when it's on, that's bad because you could be having a conversation, but you generally keep your nursery quiet. No, the creepy thing is when, like when is people you, are you can watching hack your in, babies. You can, well, people can watch your baby and people can hack in and talk, talk to, to your, your baby. baby. No, the, yeah, for the two-way, sure. What, yeah. Does it have to be two-way? I don't have to talk to the child remotely, dude. Just go upstairs. I mean, if it's if it's just audio, then uh, yeah, all they're going to hear is crying. And if that's what yeah, they're into, then exactly. let them, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, like, could we el- could we eliminate like the need to actually have to talk to your baby to soothe them and just let them like self-soothe if you're like monitoring vitals and you're just sort of making sure that everything is going okay, like mm-hmm. ventilation yeah. rate, you can kind of tell. Get a little bit of, uh, like kind of biometric data. Oh, I like yeah. the monitoring vitals. Me too. I, I don't really care if my baby's screaming. I do care if my baby has a heart rate. Right? Yep. Yeah. Kind of an important feature of a baby. <laughs> <laughs> Key feature set has heart rate. All right. No, I, I, I think there might be products. I've, I've seen a couple of products out there that are like, yeah, there that, are. that are like, there are on. onesies that transmit biometrics to uh your phone or whatever Adorable. yeah but a onesie uh, having it built into a onesie sounds terrible because then they're it just could, gonna like puke on it and yeah, it's catch gonna fire get or something. yeah exactly yeah so you need like 13 onesies that all have <laughs> a day probably that's gonna be a really expensive i mean is this machine washable they like have to be washable. Yeah. yeah yeah there is another issue that that raises which is i've heard for a lot of the really extreme monitoring systems like that parents will tend to become really obsessed with them like they'll be checking all the time mm-hmm. because they have that ability to check all the time. Okay. So then and got- it, they just, it just makes you that much more like antsy for no particular reason. Okay. So, so are we going back to the tube through the middle of the ship then? <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I, I, okay. No, I, I, I want to be able to get biometric information, but maybe not like a live feed, but like you could set like emergency parameters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like it, it'll let you know if there's a problem. So basically it's, Something that's recording, but it's, it's all local and then it transmits, like you said, like little updates to you to be like, everything's fine. Like, it's like the guy who rings the bell on the ship and goes like, all is well. <laughs> but then who builds those algorithms though? Is that going to be left up to like expert clinicians or is this going to be user defined parameters? Yeah. Ooh. I don't know. Um, I would assume like the defaults <laughs> you'd have, you'd have it like, this is a reasonable range for your baby to be. It's not binary. Yeah. Heart rate, no heart rate, <laughs> yeah. breathing, no breathing. <laughs> well, that's certainly the, uh, yeah, you'd want that to at least go, this is the, <laughs> yeah. you haven't set an alarm, but you should really be worried. <laughs> <Zero> to unity. <laughs> Your <laughs> child's heart rate is 20. Yeah. Um, I think in addition to the biometrics, um, if you could do some sort of like not filtering, but kind of deciphering of the noises that your baby is making. 
Like, oh, your baby's coughing, Whoa, but it sounds like one. a wet cough. Maybe mm. that's oh, wow. a bacterial infection. Oh, man. Oh, my then, God. Then you're getting into, like, a, like WebMD. Yeah. You're, you're, kind you're of. The machine that can be a hypochondriac for your baby. Maybe. But then there's also, like, um, isn't there research that shows that different, like, frequency of baby screaming means certain things? Yeah. Or maybe I'm making that up. It, but I don't think any of them mean, like, your child has pneumonia. No, I mean, like, maybe it's like, oh, your child has a dirty diaper versus your child's a little cranky. Or yeah, your child true. is yeah, hungry. So, so it has the ability to learn. Sure. So it's an artificial intelligence that learns your baby's habits and what they correspond to using neural networks and <laughs> microphones mounted all over your nursery. That and assumes- then securely transmits the data using encrypted streams straight to an app on your cell phone, but only updates... At occasional times, so that you're not you're not super obsessing. anxious all the time. I, I think so. so we easy. did it. <laughs> so your your baby has to Win. your baby has to be your crib is in a server room that is <laughs> surrounded by medical equipment. <laughs> your baby is screaming because it is three degrees because it's a server room. <laughs> um, the, yeah, we, we've kind of got, delved into the crazy. Let's. I I, I like. <laughs> We're gonna hammer this started out. started with Morse code. I, know. <laughs> I don't think this is any crazy. In the back of my mind, I totally thought that this week would be like super like, yeah, this is a great solution. We just have a really simple way of addressing this problem. Well, I mean, okay. If you want you want a really simple way of addressing the problem, you set up a laptop with a Skype call and you just called it from downstairs. With a spare cell phone, <laughs> which everybody always has. Like, yeah. I have a spare cell phone. Just It has free, like just on the Wi-Fi. Sit you, it there. Yeah, with Skype open. You, you write a little app that answers a Skype call automatically on the laptop and you just call your baby's like laptop you can actually <laughs> they have a free app that i've used before on android that you run on your phone and it sets up a web server you can connect to from any other laptop or cell phone and it streams audio and video and has night vision so this why is actually I, a really good idea you just use an old like i have three old cell phones at home why did i buy a baby monitor <laughs> oh, i was actually going to use my two old cell phones as like security cameras in my house with using the same thing oh cool. okay that like is actually this. way cooler than anything explain to me again how does this work so it's an app you install on your phone yeah and you set it up it can use bluetooth or it can connect to over the wi-fi in your house Mm -hmm. and once it's running from any other system on the bluetooth or the wi-fi connection you go to a website Mm -hmm. and you can bring up the live video feed from the phone Mm -hmm. and the audio from the phone is it like can you password protect it i don't know possibly well i mean if you if if you couldn't I, i assume you could like if you expressed interest, somebody out there would develop yeah. a competing app that did let you password protect. We used to it. attach. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had an old phone. We used to attach to quadrotors and we'd fly it around. It's like a live camera feed. Man, how did I not know this, not know this is a thing? Yeah, it's great. I can think of so many cool things you could do with that. And it's free. I seriously, why did I buy, buy a baby monitor? <laughs> this is so much cooler because of the, the baby. The baby establishment told you that you. I should. know. Oh. I'm I'm a consumer whore. <laughs> Big baby? Like- <laughs> it's true. <laughs> you laugh, but I'm in it, man. There's like, yeah. There's- it's true. I have bought so many things in the last couple of months just because I was told I'm supposed to. Yeah, you were told that you should be afraid of things and the solution would make them all better. Yep. All right. So the solution is take one of the many pieces of electronic junk you've got lying around your house and turn it into a baby monitor by using an app. Yeah, it's got to be app enabled though. It's got to be something that, so it's got to be either Android it's be, or yeah, iOS or Android something. Or iOS. It has to be relatively recent. Okay, but mm-hmm. I mean you could probably pick up like you could pick up an iPhone whatever, iPhone N minus 2 for <laughs> <laughs> for for basically nothing. 
uh, or whatever. I mean, there's, I mean, there's an unreasonable number of Android devices out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can, you can buy brand new Android devices for like a hundred dollars, which I think is less than I spent on this baby monitor. Yeah. And I will never be able to use it for anything else. Okay. I'll put the app name in the show notes. Yeah. Cause... I want to know about this even mm-hmm. if yeah. it's too late. It's too late for me, people, but don't make the same mistake. <laughs> <laughs> the reason I haven't done this yet is because I wanted to figure out a way to have it constantly powered, but in, in different places in my house. And I mm. couldn't figure out how to like surreptitiously nicely hide cables going to these cell phones hanging around my house. Mm-hmm. Oh, the, the, it's not surreptitious. In our, you walk into our nursery and there is a power cable that runs up the wall and across <laughs> the ceiling. It's like right in the middle of the far wall because it had to be it had to stay out of reach of the crib because as you said they're gonna be in the crib till like they're three yeah if it's anywhere near the crib they're gonna pull the power cord down you could uh go to ikea and get like the stick on stickers on the walls and have like little monkeys climbing it and stuff Ooh, Aww. i like that idea and it, actually it would work in your you have all the birds on the wall in yeah. your nursery that would be yeah. good they're like birds on the wires going across the but we already put birds on like the light switch and like the picture frames and stuff and that's awesome that's yeah. cute all right so i like that solution get an app Reuse some of that uh, old electronic junk you yeah. lying around. Mm-hmm. Reduce, reuse, recycle, and put hack those technology. Yeah, and put... hack technology. Exactly. That's a nice good segue. segue. That was yeah. perfect. <laughs> Boom. All right. So before we get into uh, into hacking Our technology, guest is so much better at this than we are. I know. <laughs> it's like he's been paying closer attention to what we've been doing than we have. <laughs> he probably yeah. Um. So. <laughs> So yes. disclaimer, Gord, you you are you are not by our de- like by our definition from episode whatever number that was, you are not what we would call an engineer. I think by most definitions, I wouldn't be qualified as an engineer. Yeah, okay. you did not attend an accredited university no, program. No, never went to school. No. Never took well, any engineering to courses. <laughs> <laughs> Super not. My, I've got a degree in philosophy, okay, as well as human kinetics. All right, all right. So uh, yeah, tell us tell us about your degrees. Like what, 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 what brought you from, uh, out of high school to the point where you decided you were going to start hacking things together? Okay. So just from an educational standpoint, I did the philosophy degree. Great. Kind of opened my mind to the world and different ways of thinking. Uh, one of the courses I had to take was symbolic logic, which might come up a little bit later. Uh, logic is a useful thing. It turns out <laughs> and yeah, periodically, Um, and then I studied turf grass management and a bunch of little landscaping courses in between degrees. Okay. I worked at a golf course for seven years doing like summers in high school and university. And that's actually what sort of kicked off my interest in being able to do things, troubleshoot, problem solve, because part of my gig at the golf course was, uh, I had to know about biology, chemistry and pesticides, um, I had to be able to fix machines every once in a while. Uh, if it broke, you fixed it. And golf is a pretty fundamentally, um, physics based sport. Like I know yeah. all sports involve physics, but like <laughs> golf, golf has got a lot of physics too. I know yeah. all about sports. <laughs> it's totally, there's, there, no, there's, there's not a whole lot, lot of... else to golf. It's not like there's a yeah. strategic, well, I guess there may be a strategic aspect, but yeah, that most of it is physics. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of physics and just sort of like learning how to like, make the physics and energy transfers happen in an, an effective way. But I, I did the turf, so I worked with like big machines, which were cool. <laughs> uh, and you had to know, you had to know a lot about biology because the grass that grows on the golf, those golf grass, it's like crazy stuff. It's fancy. It, it, it's crazy stuff. You well, have I mean, to know like, a I, lot about fertilizers and things. Yeah. No, I, I like, I, I, we have a new house and we just got grass put in last mm-hmm. spring and I almost killed the grass that like the regular grass around my house. Which just is hard to, to do. 
Yeah, no, I, and, and <laughs> I, I, I came very close. And, uh, so I have no idea how they made, well, I, I, I have a vague idea, but it's, it's hard to grasp how they mm-hmm. maintain that much grass that well. Yeah. I killed the grass at my house, yeah. but that was on purpose. I dug it up and threw it in a dumpster. Oh, there you go. So I had a neighbor that had, um, like golf course grass mm-hmm. in his front and backyard and he had like Ooh. a professional service come and manage it. For like him. the really like short, yes, like, like the grass? actual wow. golf grass. That's crazy. That's excessive. Yeah, it, really. it was. <laughs> was it bluegrass? <laughs> bent grass <laughs> they're just banjos Actually, all day long um cool so, so yeah you're working so i did course. that and then i decided i wasn't super into the industry i went and studied human kinetics and then between that i started sort of fixing up houses as well hmm. and so all of these sort of you know like structural things uh mechanical things kind of compounded together Came together most recently. I worked at a bike shop for a couple of years, and that actually got me learning a little bit about metallurgy, um, welding processes, things like that. That sort of lit up a spark that helped me understand electronics, conductors. Once I started to get a better grasp of conductors, I started to learn about semiconductors. That got me into circuitry. Circuitry got me into programming, and uh, and here I am today. So, cool. so human kinetics was your gateway drug. Human kinetics <laughs> was totally my gateway drug. So I look at like what what is forces like hacking and, humans and before you hack electronics. Literally, that's what I do. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a lot of biomechanics. Okay. So we look at forces that are um, that the humans exert mm-hmm. and the ground reaction force. So the forces that are you know, in response exerted against the human, Mm -hmm. uh, gravity, look at like a lot of power, actually power and energy transfers. Mm -hmm. One of my biggest concerns, especially doing cardiac rehab is figuring out how to build the muscles so that they're strong enough to challenge the heart and then help people kind of rebuild their heart. So the heart's strong enough to fuel the muscles, um, and make sure there's enough energy kind of flowing through that whole system within the human, but then also, pairing appropriate sort of machines with them so some machines you have to kind of stand up and carry your own body weight uh and for people who have a lower functional capacity it might be more advantageous to have them in a seated position for example so they don't have to carry that weight and exert the same amount of energy engage the core muscles the same way you know hydrostatic pressure plays a big role in that and uh if you have to like balance sometimes that can actually like create sort of a squeezing thing going in through your cardiovascular system so hmm. there are a lot of mechanical components that go into that hmm. and outside of that just the force output of the muscles and uh doing your best to make sure that the joints are moving in kind of the right way uh if your joints move in a way that they're not supposed to be moving then something in that system needs to be corrected a little bit hmm that's cool. Okay, yeah. so the, the the mechanics of people and the mechanics of how energy gets from the big muscles that all go sort of in the same direction to parts of your body that go in all kinds of different directions. Yeah, absolutely. Do you see the like when you approach something like a an electrical system or a mechanical system or an actuated system that has sort of an electromechanical component, do you think about it as an analogous system to a biological system in terms of like um, having voltage in terms of blood pressure and the muscles in terms of actuations and stuff like that? Or is it sort of, they're two very fundamentally distinct things, but there are some concepts that are kind of similar. I'm wondering if, if you have like a lens that you use. Yeah, totally. The, the lens that I kind of use is sort of, um, like most of my world is really looking at 
human function, humans interacting with their environment, uh, and just improving the way that humans interact with our environment. And so consequently, like user interfaces, for example, would be something that interests me a lot. Like how do we encourage the human to engage with something? Uh, in my world, that's physical activity and movement. I want to create positive experiences for people around physical activity and movement. Hmm. Um, I want to make sure that it's kind of as pain-free as possible. And, you know, specifically related to what I do, I want to make sure that it's like safe and there's a low risk of physical harm to the person. It's it's interesting that we talked about human factors uh, in terms of a software uh, on a previous episode, but there's a big chunk of human factors is ergonomics and and human safety and yeah. injury prevention. So yeah. industrial design. Yeah, it was a whole a whole branch of uh, human factors that we didn't really touch on. So it's interesting that it comes up with uh, with the kinematics and uh, kinesiology aspect of it. Yep, absolutely. And even there's a big role in sort of psychology in that whole process as well learning kind of how people think, how people kind of interpret things differently. You know, one person might experience kind of back pain one particular way uh, in that it could be very distressing and very, very painful, uh, and they might be very concerned or confused by it. Uh, another person might just write it off completely and it's not a huge deal. But it could be the same sort of mechanical stimulus that causes an injury, and their body might respond in identical ways, but how their brain kind of processes that pain signal is going to vary significantly from person to person. That's really cool. Yeah. So um, it occurs to me that I, like, I've come across in the past people from different backgrounds that um, when I explained some of the things I'd worked on and at that time was working on, there were immediate applications that they could see in their particular field that I would never have known existed. And they got really excited about how these approaches could be reused in different ways. What was the first real kind of problem that you found in uh, in the work that you were doing where you were like, this is something that technology could really solve and I'm going to make that technological doodad? Oh, I mean, I think one of the things that sort of drives anybody that's interested in inventing or finding something new or just like has a drive to solve problems that might not even have really been identified yet is the ability to just kind of like just need to solve problems and that kind of like curiosity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, was there like a particular problem that you were like, oh man, I really wish I could measure this or I could um, get insight into what's going on underneath the skin that I can't just by watching or feeling or using the tools that are commonly used. And I want to, I want to make a thing that can allow me to do that. Like, was there a problem or is it just sort of a motivation, an overarching motivation? It's it's mostly an overarching motivation, but I get a lot of reinforcement like from the people that I work with. They often, especially with like medical imaging and testing, uh, electrocardiography, for example, people, they're very, very complex uh, technologies to understand and people really want to know how they work because they're very powerful technologies that can see a lot of things. Sometimes what people think are incredibly powerful technologies can't see what people expect them to be able to see uh, in terms of just like illnesses and things mm -hmm. and being able to explain those technologies to people is a very it's a big driving factor for me that's super interesting because uh i i've talked a lot in the past with people about how a lot of times i see engineering and technology and especially software as a uh, kind of the last real like magical wizardry like it, it's akin to 
no, I can't say akin to like magicians in olden days, but like <laughs> yeah. we well, used to have wizards, but like yeah, it's that sort of like technology there's is... that sort of mythology around it where people yeah. just think that it's magic and they'd never be able to understand how it worked because it's too complicated. And yeah. a lot of times if you explain it, like you said, or you have people that are just genuinely interested in how things work, it's not that hard to explain it. Like people are always like, oh, you're a genius because you know how to use computers. It's like you just learn it. It's not. It's not yeah. bad. Like there's a lot of time to understand the nuance, but to really explain it is not that bad. And it's it's really cool that you just took that on and didn't, weren't really like intimidated by it. Mm-hmm. Well, and and that's sort of one of the things that I I try to encourage people to understand about how technology in general works. Really, it's it's all based on incredibly simple and very accessible concepts. You yeah, know, like like forces are pretty simple. You drop an apple, it falls to the ground. That's a thing. Like it's, it's, it, <laughs> it's an observable know, and measurable thing. Yeah, you can. It's, I, I want to say it's not rocket science, but you know, when you break it down and when you really get into it, we've done rocket science as as people and as humans. Like somebody else has figured out a lot of this stuff. It's not beyond the grasp of a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot of this technology and, and figuring out how to either you know utilize it or how to even develop it and expand on it is within the grasp of of, of many people. I think. So is there a particular technology that you were that, that motivated you to want to get a grasp on the the science behind it and the technology that built it into it? EKG, uh electrocardiography was in in terms of like electronics, mm-hmm. it just fell into place at a good time in my life where I I started working doing cardiac rehabilitation. I just started learning about uh, electronics a little bit more and figuring out how the body functions in terms of like the body being an electrical entity it has electrical signaling that's very sophisticated very complex mm-hmm. uh, certainly you look at like uh, the artificial intelligence world and p- people have spent a lot of time trying to figure out how human brains tick and how to emulate that mm-hmm. it's kind of an exciting space to to consider can you explain what ekg is to people like me sure <laughs> um <laughs> Electrocardiography is, you basically put electrodes, uh, there are different combinations and patterns of electrodes that you can place around the heart, and the heart has kind of a, a regular electrical signal. The heart's a muscle and it needs electrical stimulation, so it beats, you know, for many people at rest, around 60 beats per minute. But there are four different chambers within the heart, and you'll see kind of three different electrical things that are happening there's an initial signal to start and then that kind of like primes the pump that is the heart there's a second signal which is like the big spike that you might see in an ekg signal and that says uh to the big chambers in your heart the ventricles to squeeze out as much blood as humanly possible and that pushes the blood through your system then there there's a huge depolarization that occurs in the ventricles and they need to kind of like recharge. And so you'll see as well, like on, on those electrodes printing out, you'll see that recharging signal. So they're mostly kind of roughly speaking, three different significant signaling events that happen per heartbeat. Hmm. Um, and it's if, if those, because generally speaking, there's a normal, uh, anything that differentiates from that is a little bit abnormal. Maybe it's not significant, but maybe it is. If, the normal polarity of the heart is changed. Uh, that could be what's called ST elevation or depression. The ST is just different points on the graph. 
But if the, the resting normal is changed, that could be a sign that your heart is hungry for oxygen and it's not getting enough blood flow and enough oxygen to a spot. That's when you start getting concerned about heart disease. So, oh, wow. I mean, EKG is obviously our technology that's been around for a while. What did you want to accomplish when you decided to play around with that type of technology? And how do they, like, how do they generally work and what were you doing differently or the same? Like, I'm trying to, like, it, like you said EKG was something that you were really interested in. Well, he said he wanted mm-hmm. to be able to explain it to people so that they wouldn't oh, think it was magic. Mm-hmm. Not make yeah, one. Yeah, there's, well, I do definitely want to make one. Uh, <laughs> and, and that's mostly sort of like analog signal af- amplification and processing. But once I started, a lot of tangents kind of happen when I'm thinking about things to build. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then there's also the fact that I'm not an engineer. I don't know a lot about these technologies. So sometimes I'll have an idea and I'll try to like, go through with it and i'm like i have no idea how this works so that's a good that's a good way to get into something i was really interested in which is like what are the what are the technologies you're using how did you figure out how they worked and Mm -hmm. like just sort of like for other people that want to start hacking things together like where do you go what do you buy how do you get started and sure what are getting back to what we were talking about earlier what are some of those weird tricky magical wizardry things that are genuinely really tough that you couldn't get your head around uh, I mean, Arduino, it's, it's really popular, almost bordering on cliche to some extent, <laughs> but that was a, a really good starting point for me. Yeah. Uh, I, I started just like working on some, it, some of the, the packages that you get, uh, because it is open source. A lot of people have put together packages where you can get a hardware kit and a little textbook that gives you some code examples. And, uh, and then you just like plug in your Arduino, you put together the circuit as they describe, and you start tinkering and, and learning how to make a computer interface with an analog circuit, uh, which like blew my mind. It's an incredibly powerful <laughs> tool and it's a really neat learning experience. Yeah. It's, it's, in it's interesting to see, like, is it, it's something that I've, I've tinkered with and I've seen, you see a lot of people who have built projects around it. Um, and it's neat that it's a product that's allowing people who don't have a background in digital technology or in electronics to get a foothold in that world and, and start seeing them that they can make something, make something, do something cool. Yeah. That's neat. Yep. What are some of the things that you've been trying to create some of these projects that you've been working on? Uh, I mean, my two, probably two of the biggest things that interest me are power generation, like electricity generation, solar. Uh, like human-powered electrical generation, like a, a bike-powered generator. Hmm. Horribly inefficient. Don't ever do it. But it's kind of a <laughs> neat little experiment. And the other one is is general imaging applications. My software and like kind of coding skills aren't anywhere near where I need to be to be able to to make meaningful imaging uh, devices. But I built a little just with the Arduino and the ultrasound sensor that came with it. I built a little thing that could kind of scan a little three-dimensional object and just create like a digital print of it. So you could maybe go back and when I get around to building my CNC mill, uh, <laughs> you know, like scan a little sculpture, recreate the sculpture cool. kind of a deal. I love that that's it's, it's just like when I get around to it. I'll build a CNC at some point in the future. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, we've, we've been following your, uh, your, your Facebook posts about your ongoing adventures. So it's, it's interesting to see yeah. the things that you're, uh, that you're building. Yeah. I feel like most of your Facebook posts nowadays are like photos of electrical circuits or output that's from your oscilloscope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it, it is, it is for sure kind of like, a backwards way of doing things without getting a whole lot of formal training. Uh, my brother 
runs a, a horse farm and he wanted to build a horse trainer. So it's basically like a motor in the center of a circle and it spins some paddles that kind of encourages the horse to go around in a circle that's made of two fences. So it's a big, just kind of circular track. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. um, and I wanted to build a little motor controller for that. So I was like the, the electrical engineering behind it. I'm, I'm reasonably comfortable with. It's not an overly complicated circuit. The signaling doesn't need to be overly precise. It's great, <laughs> but building the interface. So putting, you know, attaching the motor to the keypad to an LCD screen so you can input a program and then making that run the motor and set up a couple of different programs. So like go at five miles an hour for five minutes, then go at eight miles an hour for 20 minutes, then go back to five miles an hour for five. That was really hard for me to figure out. I had no experience or training. Literally, I just started like reading about code, reading about functions and the, what ultimately got me the, the set of functions in the program that I needed was a program that was initially written for a calculator. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's just kind of sometimes things pop up in funny places and it's, it's a really backwards approach and it takes a lot of time, a lot of reading through other people's code and uh reading through other people's circuits if you're into circuit design or things like that yeah it's it's interesting that you, you've hit on something that i think a lot of people don't realize about engineering in general is that how much of it is just finding things that people have done and ripping them apart and then seeing what they've done and messing around with it and then building something half out of what was there and half out of what did not exist before. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Like I, we, we say it all the time for people who are in software stack overflow, which is basically a message board is like, that's where you go. When it's you, everything. when you start something, when you can't get something to work, you don't generally start from a blank canvas and make things from yeah. scratch. You mm -hmm. go and find examples and you hack them together. Yeah. And honestly, in terms of the learning process, if you're not going to pursue like formal education or training or even a college course or something, I think, honestly, probably the best way to learn how to do this stuff is to rip stuff apart. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, I pulled apart a fluorescent light bulb the other day to see what was inside, and it, it blew my mind. It was just like a pile of capacitors. It was a little control board. There was a transformer. Like, and you can just look at it, and when you get used to seeing, like, PCB boards, then you can start figuring out, okay, this is how the circuit works, but it takes a lot of, like, a lot of mistakes, a lot of exper experimenting, tinkering, trying to figure out, you know, why does something work? Why does something not work? Mm -hmm. Yeah, problems are a great way to learn. If if something's broken, how did it break? And asking that question is is a really powerful tool in terms of learning. And it can be yeah. surprisingly edifying intentionally breaking something and seeing, like messing with things and seeing why did this makes yeah. it not work. Why did it make it not work? <laughs> it, it's it's, yeah. uh, it's a... Uh, uh, a brute force method for finding <laughs> out a system, but it's, it's like that, that web comic that I yeah. sent you. Yeah, that I'll put in the show notes. It's like this thing doesn't work. I don't know why. Yeah, this thing does work. Yeah. I don't know why. And I mean, like, I think cognitively, your brain sort of just really sort of starts paying attention to your environment when your circuit board catches fire. <laughs> <laughs> Every, everybody who's done electronics knows the smell of burning electronics. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I did something wrong. It's the blue. It's the I magic blue smoke. Well, it was it was funny. Yeah. You were talking about the uh, the circuit board inside a uh, inside a fluorescent bulb because uh, like I worked in PCB manufacturing and and testing for quite a while, and uh, there was a day I came home and 
I was like, I know that smell. My house smells like something, and it's not a home <laughs> smell. It's a work smell. <laughs> and it was, uh, it was because one of the, it was the, one of the boards in one of those compact fluorescent bulbs had blown a cap, and it was the burnt capacitor smell. And I was like, that's no, awesome. that smells like work. It's not supposed to be at home. <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting, um, because I, I keep drawing analogies in my head between what you actually learn when you study engineering. And what you're learning, sort of teaching yourself engineering. And I feel like a lot of what engineering does, and this applies in my mind mostly to software, but it's pretty much across the board. It's sort of a cliche thing, but really when you take engineering, they teach you tools. Like they give you a bunch of tools and most of them save you time and trying to figure out how things work. Or they give you a number, like a different strategies for analyzing and figuring things out. One of the things I generally tell people who like students, especially is that in software, they don't teach you programming languages. Like you generally don't take a course, at least after the first couple of years where they're like, now we're going to have a course on Java where you learn Java. Mm-hmm. They teach you programming and they, you can use whatever language you want. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. And it's the same generally with engineering. Like mm-hmm. you learn physics and mechanics and math and all these different strategies, but they don't teach you where to use it or how you use it. They teach, generally teach you like how things function and how to problem solve and put things together. And I feel like... Yeah. Basically, it's the analogy in my mind that I came to was they give us a toolbox full of tools and you're making your own tools. And so you're going to come up with really (laughs) interesting strategies and really creative ways of solving problems because you're not like, oh, there's a bolt. I need a wrench. You're like, oh, there's a bolt. What do I have that can turn bolts? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's that's basically how I'm doing it. And it's like it's bizarre and it's weird and it's totally backwards. And there are a lot of times where. I'll be working on a computer program and I wish I understood the basics of the architecture of a computer program, which I don't even know. You know, you read, you learn, you gradually sort of like build that stuff up. But in that really tangential web of, you know, trying random different things, you'd go off on a hundred other tangents and you might find something that's really interesting. You find a really creative way of solving a problem that a typical engineer wouldn't come to, and it might take you longer. Like I'm thinking about that yes. transmission we talked about a couple of weeks ago, where it was a plumber who developed it and it took him 20 years, but no one else had come up with it. And it needed a plumber yeah. with that creativity and that outside perspective, but it did take 20 years. Mm-hmm. And like, this is the weird thing about ideas and technology that don't necessarily exist. It's that it's very feasible. They might just continue to not exist and never existed at all. You know, like there, there's something that doesn't exist yet and you never know what you're going to stumble upon or what you're going to invent or the right problem comes your way and you find an ingenious way of fixing it. It's well, there's a lot of interesting kind of crazy like discoveries and things that have been uh, inventions that have come along when people were trying to solve completely unrelated problems. Oh yeah. 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 The microwave is one of my favorite examples. The guy was, he was just ripping apart like a, I think it was a radar device or something. And he, he had a chocolate bar in his pants that he noticed started getting warm and melting <laughs> with the microwave signal being nearby. Yeah. He was like, Oh, this could be useful. His next step, see if it does popcorn. Yeah. Yeah. That was the invention of the microwave. I mean, the same we, thing. We with, had the radar range was the original <laughs> name of the microwave. Yeah. I mean, the same thing with, <laughs> with a lot of toys, yeah. like slinkies were originally developed for a, a different application for like damping, um, things on ships. Um, silly string was developed as a, some other way. I think it was for like spraying on people as a medical aid. Um, silly <laughs> putty was know. like totally different material as well. Like all, a lot of things were 
Viagra, one of my favorites. It was initially <laughs> developed as an antihypertensive. And then they were like, okay, this isn't really working super well as, oh, man, as, this is as a drug to lower your blood pressure, but it's doing this other thing. <laughs> this could be useful. I'm embarrassed, but this could make us millions. <laughs> yeah. Everyone uh, seems to go. like it, even though it isn't helping their hypertension. Yeah. Yeah. Their stress levels just got way down. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so back to uh, back to you. Um, yeah. What's hard, <laughs> dude? What's difficult to figure out in terms of engineering? It was the topic I wanted to talk about. All right, that's actually. I, it's 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 interesting to me that you uh, like you're jumping into electrical engineering, but you're jumping into analog signal conditioning, which is in and of itself one of the more difficult aspects of electrical engineering. Like it's a lot easier. It's I, I don't want to say it's easier, but it's a lot more common to find resources for digital systems, Arduinos, that sort of thing online. Mm-hmm. It's a yeah. lot less common to go and be like, yeah, here's a guy who's building. Oh, yeah. Except for the audio files building their tube amps and stuff. There's not a lot of, yeah. uh, not nearly as big a maker group for, uh, analog. So mm-hmm. it's interesting to me that you jumped, you seem to have jumped right into the deep end, uh, with that. How, how, how is that? <laughs> uh, terrifying, mm. utterly terrifying, <laughs> but it's the, when you, when you mentioned the kind of audio crowd, when I was, when I've been just reading on the internet, trying to find different resources, there, there does seem to be like a couple of really different worlds, uh, in, of even non-engineer types and people who are working on their own electronics, their own programming and things like that. The audio world seems to be for sure one of those. Yeah. But I, I really was uncomfortable with the idea of not having the slightest idea of how these funny green boards made the internet happen. <laughs> um, it made me very uncomfortable. Oh, we, we have <laughs> so to do... I just, I needed to know how it worked, so I bought a scope. Oh, we have to do an episode entitled How Funny Green Boards Make the Internet Happen Now. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> that's, that's actually a pretty good, like, series of, like, build it up from from a single computer up to how the internet is a thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you, so you bought a scope. That's, you, you've gone a lot further than most people I know who have gotten into tinkering with electronics. Yeah. That's, yeah. Well, that's not, that's not a small investment right there. No. It was, I, I found it on Kijiji. It's, uh, it's a Tektronix from the eighties. Nice. So it's, it's Classic. not a fancy scope. It was like 120 bucks. Yeah. Um, but it's one of the, so it's one of the ones with the fluorescent screen, like the, uh, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the oh. ultimate the actual, actual like cathode ray tube. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, that's it's, awesome. It's, it's sweet. I actually really enjoy it and it just, it brings me a lot of happiness. <laughs> it's analog. Yeah. No, it's true, yeah. true it's, analog it, electronics. It, yeah. Yeah. I think it might be the first one where there was some sort of digital component to it. Mm. But yeah, it was, it was, you know, right around that era. That's cool. That's awesome. I think that, no, that, that is really fitting yeah. actually for what you're doing. Cause it's, yeah, it's, it's a world in which there, you would be very, sort of herded into the digital systems doing digital like signal analysis when it wouldn't necessarily be the best solution, but it's a lot easier to pick up because it's Arduinos yes. and things like that. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. uh, so it's, it's interesting that that's the direction that you went. So yeah. the, the application that you're looking at with the analog signals is doing like alt- using ultrasound signals for imaging. Yeah. I, I like, I'm, I'm generally interested in medical imaging. Uh, like part of, my drive for kind of like tinkering and making stuff is learning how it works. Uh, and then that can help me understand how an existing technology actually functions. 
What are the advantages? What are the drawbacks? Um, so do, do you use like ultrasound machines, like the current, what is the current, I, I don't know the state of the art in ultrasound machines, but like, do, is that something you use in your work right now or? That's not something that I use. Uh, I've done a couple of tasks as kind of like a, an EKG tech where I kind of like apply the electrodes and things. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's really mostly, I get a lot of questions about like, this procedure, I'm scheduled to undergo this procedure. What is it? Mm. And then when I'm trying to figure out kind of like how to tell people what exercises they should be doing, it's important for me to understand like what exactly is going on, you know, in, in your heart and things like that. Um, so I want to know, you know, how did, you know, the surgeon or the cardiologist come to their conclusions about this? Like the the evidence that they have to make their clinical decisions is something that interests me. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, it's 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 a it's a drive we don't see as much as as Pete said with a lot of people who are just sort of they have technology but they're perfectly content just the technology works and that's all they need to know. It's a black box, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, yeah, it's an interesting drive. Yeah, and it's I mean I think that's that drive might be maybe necessary to to really make significant improvements in you know technologies in whatever field a person works in like engineers have their their area of expertise you might not understand how the human body functions quite as well as i do uh, oh, or certainly as well not. as a physician would <laughs> and so you know you can you can talk to each other you can collaborate and communicate but if you're talking completely different languages it's going to be really hard to for the clinician to get what they need and for the engineer to get the information that they need to build the device for the clinician. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's absolutely um, one of the fundamental things that I thought was really fantastic about what you're doing is that from work that I did in the past, it was when I did my master's thesis, which was a combination of robotics, technology, and also the application was medical-based. Mm. I was looking around for other material that was out there, as they say, in the literature for similar techniques, and no one was doing it. And it was because there's a very small proportion of engineers that study the particular algorithms that I was working with. And there's a very small proportion of people that study those algorithms that also apply them to rehabilitation. Mm -hmm. And so basically that cross section was me. Mm. And so more than exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And I mean, basically (laughs) if more people that are in those fields that don't generally have someone who has a background in robotics or in software or some other technology field um, at hand, they can just say, hey, could you wire this up for me or hack this together? If they start making it themselves, then you start to have these applications in all sorts of fields where there isn't that cross-section of a guy who knows yeah. both. Yeah, Dominic was on your show a little while ago, and he was talking about there was like, what was he doing? He was working with like chocolate jets. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, or chocolate jet injectors. And there was like, he just said, no, you just, you have to go and find the chocolate jet injector guy. Yeah, the yeah. guru. The guru, like there's the one guy that does this. He's super good at it. And because the entire world only needs one guy, he's the guy. And it never gets <laughs> documented. That's the the thing that I think you're gonna, that you've probably run into a lot is that there are probably people who are doing some of these projects or tinkering with the kind of things you're tinkering with that did it in their basement, but it's never been documented. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's a growing thing. The, 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 the maker culture and the like writing how to's mm-hmm. and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. But for a long time, you would go through an entire project and be like, yeah, hey, I built this cool thing, but 
unless they were the kind of person who really wanted to share that with somebody else, it would never, no one ever heard of it outside of their little circle of friends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's, it, it's kind of interesting that we're getting a push in that direction as well from those cult, like that culture of, of maker, uh, maker people and tinkerers and that sort of thing. This is unrelated, but it also occurred to me, it's sort of similar. Um, I was really fascinated to learn a few years ago that there's a whole subculture of engineers that are either on like maternity leave or they're retired or they're between jobs and they go online and there are websites where companies or individuals can essentially pose problems and attach a monetary reward to them. And people mm-hmm. that don't have engineering day to day, but have a background can just basically try to solve them. And it basically whole companies have outsourced their entire R and D divisions to crowdsource engineering online resources where they basically say, we need a better way of filling toothpaste tubes with toothpaste and we can't figure it out. Any other, anybody else figured out, we'll give you 10 grand. Mm-hmm. And That's you basically really cool. just like, there are people who spend all their time now in their garage or in their basement, just coming up with solutions to random problems people have, and then just post them online for a small amount of money. Well, wow. 10 grand is not a small amount of money. Well, yeah, but I mean, to make a living, it's, yeah, it's, you yeah, need to do that a few more times. Just string it together a fair bit. Yeah. yeah. No, but I mean, like I am kind of endlessly inspired by just how innovative people are in general. You know, when I, when I go to work in the morning, I get to see a bunch of people who are just, they're creative, they're inspired, they're driven to, to thrive in one way or another. And I think if, if the internet or, or whatever it is can bring people together and harness that power on a mass scale to expose people to problems that don't have solutions yet, it's, it's going to be pretty surprising what people will come up with to, to solve challenging issues that we face. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you're doing good work in terms of getting, uh, Getting information out there so people understand how things are working, yeah. understand what what's how the technology fits together and how it serves them. So that's mm-hmm. really good. It's that's a, that's kind of a priority for me. Like I I don't the stuff that I'm building is is not revolutionary in nature. It's <laughs> well, it's um, but it, it's it's, it's revolutionary to it's you, and that's the key. Totally, yeah. but it's it's technology that is accessible, and it's maybe one or two steps away from most people in North America. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, like but that's one know, or that's two more steps than bucks. anyone takes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But but people can access this, mm-hmm. and yeah. and people who don't have a background in this, I think, can really, with a little bit of investment in time, and and most importantly, a sense of confidence, figure these things out and come up with a solution that might be different from what the experts are supposed to be able to come up with. Mm-hmm. Do you have any, um, along those lines, do you have any like tips or tricks that you've picked up that, uh, you can kind of pass along that, uh, save you or are now saving you some time? Like places Maybe. you go for information yeah. or, or things mm-hmm. that you screwed up yeah. enough times that now you know better. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, in, instructables is, is a great resource. It's whenever I go to the internet and search things, that's one of the first things that comes up. Yeah. Uh, Wikipedia is a great resource for just even understanding the fundamentals. Like I've, I've saved myself a lot of components having been blown up just by reading about the basic principles of things. Mm-hmm. Like a, a good theoretical foundation, I think, is a really important part of understanding how stuff works and, and troubleshooting some problems down the road. If you know that electricity, you know, wants to flow to ground. That's an important piece of knowledge when you're building circuits or whether you're building a house in the electrical system. Or even yeah. even understanding what ground means as, yeah. a, as an abstract yeah. concept. Understanding what ground means. Yeah. Like, 
They're words. They have definitions. They're useful to understand when you're going to work in a world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting because one thing that comes to mind that you mentioned that uh, I've sort of tried to pass on with the the students that I mentor is that you, um, for most things, start with the data sheet. And generally, for a lot of components, you would go to the website for some place that you bought it from or a website where you can find it and find the data sheet. But most of the time, those resources also have sample code, especially for Arduino, which is yep. super useful if you're doing that because Arduino comes with sample code, but not Spark generally, fun. yeah, but not generally for specific, yeah, specifically for what you're using. And yeah, Spark yeah. Fun is great that way. Yeah, exactly. And especially if you yeah. can find a, uh, if you're looking to, to implement a chip, finding a breakout board for that, finding, if they're selling a, a breakout yep. test board, you buy that and half the time it'll have a tied in, it'll have, yeah. To call back to our previous one, they'll have an API. It'll have a, yeah. a whole bunch of information for how to interact with it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I had a, an Adafruit motor board. That's another reasonable resource. I've drifted motor boards spark fun lately for a lot of those components. Yeah. They make great stuff. And because most of it's open source hardware, you can then go and you can find the schematics for it and you can, yep. you can do what we were talking about where you break it down and you say, okay, this part of the circuit does this and you can start taking that yep. and putting it to something else. The first 50, 50 data sheets that I read, I had no idea what they said, but, <laughs> you know, just by the process of like reading them repetitively and then like, you know, I don't know that what this word means. Let's Wikipedia it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nice. Like gradually over time, you build your knowledge base and you start to be able to read the data sheets. Yeah. And that's, that's a very useful thing if you're building circuitry. That's mm -hmm. great. Yeah. Um, so it, it takes a lot of not knowing what you're doing. It takes a lot of little mistakes. So try to make sure your mistakes aren't big, expensive ones. But, you know, there are a lot of resources online, like, you know, SparkFun, Wikipedia. It's the internet. Yeah. Yeah. Just Google something and you'll find it. Yeah. yeah, we have an unprecedented access to cheap things that you can you can tinker with and you're not... Uh, you're not putting a thousand dollars on the line if you blow up the uh, the little motor yeah. control board or yeah. burn out a couple Arduinos. Yeah, the number of like four dollar components is incredible. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I got a pressure sensor for four bucks. It's 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 incredible how inexpensive you can make very sophisticated things. Yeah, and if you combine them all together, it's amazing what you can do with that combination of components. This is this is why I'm getting into computer coding because I I understand like how inexpensive and how incredibly powerful it is to do stuff with relatively little input. Mm -hmm. Well, on uh, that sounds like a a, a suitably sh sunny outlook for the future. People are gonna keep keep hacking. It'll cost them less. They'll do cooler things. Hack yeah. the planet. Hack the planet. <laughs> um, Absolutely. So uh, shall we wrap up? I will fill your heads with some knowledge yes that Drop seems it. to be the theme of this uh, episode actually is yeah filling people's heads with knowledge so uh i feel like we need a theme song for that i will fill your head with knowledge it's time for the of the week so pete you you've repeatedly asked me because they complained that po i didn't dunk. uh yeah i didn't follow up with podunk after we talked about uh pufferfish i want to know so Podunk, the word podunk, it's usually used to refer to like a backwater, like a podunk town is sort of nowhere. Mm -hmm. um, and while it's not an actual town, the town of podunk, it's there are, there are a couple of places in the States that are called podunk, but it is what they call a paper town. And um, basically map manufacturers would, when they created a map, they would add some towns or places on the map that didn't exist. They were fake. These are referred to as paper towns, 
And the intention was that if somebody copied your map and tried to sell it, you would know that it had been copied because they wouldn't know there wasn't a town of Podunk. Oh. That's so cool. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it was apparently a, a long running, uh, and, and continuing practice in map making. Seems um, mischievous though. Yeah. Looking forward to visiting Podunk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it, because of that usage, it became known as sort of the, the prototypical nowhere town. Mm-hmm. You're going to go to Podunk. It's the middle of nowhere, literally. I'd be interested to know if that idea has been repurposed in technology and software, um, for like corporate hacking and espionage, but like using, that type, like that type of like podunk thing, like putting a, li- putting a little bit of notice. code yeah. that yeah. does nothing for yeah. the intention of finding it. It reminds me of, of like shibboleth, where it's like an old thing, but is reused in software and in technology. Yeah. Okay. Well, now you got to tell us what a shibboleth is. Yep. Um, it's basically a passphrase. It's like it, it basically tells someone. It's from the Bible, I think. Mm-hmm. It tells someone that you understand some secret amount, some secret knowledge that they also understand. It's like a a, a, a wink. Yeah. A wink, a wink and a nudge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's, I guess we'll wrap up now. Yes. We yeah. need, uh, so we, we've, we've got a call out. We need, we need to, uh, to ask our listeners for some help. We've got exactly one rating on iTunes and it's Pete's mom. Yeah. Um, she likes the show <laughs> and, and, and understandably so it's awesome. And I, we want, I, I maybe possibly had to walk her through how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we need people to go and actually, and rate us on iTunes and, uh, so that we get extra exposure because right now it looks kind of, uh, it looks kind of sad that it's, that it's just, yeah, beats just mom. The one. I mean, generally like we, we're trying to get more exposure and more listeners because we have fun and we're hoping that we can help people and the more people we can get listening, the better mm-hmm. we can make the world. Yeah. We can <laughs> talk to some cool people and. It comes across yeah. less as like us yeah. begging for people to help us if we're, if it's a, a goal for rule, like saving the yeah. world. I mean, we're going to keep doing <laughs> it's it for no matter you guys. what. Yeah, yeah. We're doing this for you. Um, <laughs> that being said, we're going to keep podcasting whether or not we have just gore Any listening. Listeners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with this. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually just, yeah, it's just it's a phone call. <laughs> Saffron Cam and Gord out there. <laughs> Um, and so yeah, rate us on iTunes so that people will see our podcast and get to listen to our awesome voices. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to find. We can't, you can't really Google us cause we get bombarded by other things. But if you go to uh, iTunes and search for how do you engineer it, then you'll find it. Yeah. yeah. There's no website cause it's hard to find and yeah, Google doesn't like us, but yeah, yeah. we have terrible search engine optimization. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and you can also rating us or liking us on Facebook will help people on Facebook find us. Yes. And, yeah. uh, also tweeting at us, getting, keeping our, uh, some information flowing on the Twitter sphere. Mm-hmm. It's good for exposure as well. Both yep. are at how do you eng? Yep. Mm-hmm. I have one last thing too. Um, another call out to say that we need a little bit of help as well. If you or your friends are engineers that like to be on the show or uh, have in- interesting technology, technological stories like Gord does, tweet at us or email us at feedback at how do you eng and, uh, we'll set up some fun chats. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Thanks, Gord. <laughs> Thanks, Gord. Thanks, guys. Have a good night. You too. This was How Do You Engineer, brought to you by Salad.